It's so good to be here with all of you. This is a treat for me, kind of a, a bonus for me to be back. It was uh, this time last year, on this Sunday last year, it was my last time on, on full-time staff with the church, and it was a really emotional day, and, and feel like we're, we're saying goodbye, and then, you know, we're, we're just kind of, I, I just keep turning up like a bad penny or whatever, I'm not sure, but it's just like, uh, whatever that saying is, but uh, this year has been a year of just incredible highs and lows, and a and, uh, lot of preparation, a lot of personal growth, some setbacks, all, all the things. Transitions are hard. We all, we all know that, and this has been a, a season of, of transition for us, and, uh, but we're, we're so blessed to be able to be here today, so thankful that, that Pastor Brian would ask and invite us back today as we prepare to leave. For those of you that don't know, my name's Paul. And um, been had the privilege of being here as a part of this team for 24 and a half years in one capacity or another. Uh, even They even let me come to the 25-year anniversary. So I just kind of tell people, I was there for 25 years. And God has called us through the ministry here, through the work here, and the things we've learned to plant a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. So it's not... Um, it's not Edinburgh. Uh, it's Edinburgh. And um, I can't quite get it out. It still comes out weird for me. But uh, sometimes it's Jamaican. But it's Edinburgh, and um, if I'm trying too hard. And, uh, and so uh, we're planting Take Hold Church. We've had so much encouragement and support and love from this church family. Uh, you guys are our, our sending church. Uh, you guys are our home. And, uh, and so I will turn up every once in a while and hopefully give you reports of the investment that you've made uh, in us and how God has used it to see families and lives and communities transformed and not just one church planted, but hopefully many churches planted in the years to come. And so I wanted to say before I get rolling into God's word, um, just this is my best opportunity in the service to do this. And that's just to say thank you, church, for allowing me to be here, for allowing me to, to play a leadership role, for serving with me the Tons of projects and things and, and kids ministry and groups and outreach and tons of things that we've done over the years. It all comes back to all of you serving with us and making things happen. And you've given so sacrificially of your time and all your resources, just all of it. And we're so grateful. And my wife wanted me to say, too, you know, we're, for as much as we have given here over the years, we have received way more from you. I hope that's true for you and your story of, of church life as well, but it's definitely true for us. We think we may hold the record for the most meal trains in the church. And um, you say, what, what is that? That's when like something happens at your house and people come around you and provide meals. And uh, we've had a, a lot of, Angela's had a couple health challenges. She's got two chronic health conditions, one of which she's still dealing with this week. And uh, every time something happens, either Amy or, or somebody on the staff team or, or, or one of our friends, would create this meal train for you guys to bring us all the goodness that you have at your house and to bring it to our house. And uh, you, you as a church have taken such care of us. You really have. And, uh, and so we're thankful for that care. We're thankful for that love. And we feel it. And gratitude is just not a big enough word. The support that we've received is the most humbling experience of my life. And I don't just mean financial support. I mean prayer and encouragement. So thanks. Um, enough of that. This is not uh, Paul Richardson Sunday. 
this is another day where Jesus is the headline. Amen? Amen. And I'm believing that God wants to speak to you through his word and through his spirit, not through me. So I want to take a moment and pray. And what I want to ask is that you would ask God himself to speak to you as we open his word. And we're going to open his word and look at some things he's laid on my heart through the lens of the manger and of Christmas today. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. You are worthy of it all. You deserve the glory. Jesus, you're the headline. You're the star. Uh, you're the one that we run to. You're the one that we long for. So God, let that be true in our lives. Do a work in each of our lives today, unique to each one of us, because you care and you see each one of us. And, uh, and so we just, we love you, God. And uh, teach me something new today. And, and uh, we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if I were to ask you the question, what's the toy that you remember the most when you were a kid? What, what would you say? Uh, if it was like something wooden that your uncle or somebody whittled out of a tree in the backyard, we're just so glad that you're still here and upright. And if that's your story and you're watching online, we're so glad that someone got your internet machine working today. And uh, which is also probably your TV. And um, we're just, you know, th that's some of you. you. You were in the era of like the wooden cars that had a string on them and you pull them around. And, you know, that, that, that was you. Uh, any uh, Cabbage Patch people in the house? That's right, right here in Georgia. Uh, any, um, I don't know, any Matchbox, Hot Wheels? We allowed to say Matchbox, Hot Wheels cars. Um, any, there's, there's just a few hands. Any Barbies? Any, any Barbie people? Yep. Couple guys raising their hand. That's weird. The uh, and so uh, Kindle. I don't know. I'm going to leave that where it is. The uh, so if if we were having this conversation in our house uh, not too long ago, my wife has those conversation books where it like prompts a question, helps you talk over dinner or, or or whatever. And we were talking about what's the best toy that you ever got at Christmas, and it just prompted this kind of thing. What did you, what did you play with? So I was a a, a GI Joe guy. Any any GI Joe people in the house? Now, I was G.I. Joe uh, when they were no longer like dolls, okay? They were action figures. So for those of you that have big G.I. Joes, you're about 15, 20 years older than I am. And uh, that's okay. God still loves you, and we're glad you're here too. But the, uh, so I had a lot of G.I. Joes. And you know, when you're, when you're playing with, with action figures, and I would, I would grab all kinds of things and, and like create obstacles, and, and, and I would set up scenes, and you know, you set up the, the bad guys over here, and, and you set up the, the good guys over here, and, and then you they have a, a battle or a war or something and, and, and you do what you do and then you, know, you knock people over and then, and then you set it all back up. And then, you know, I had a lot of G.I. Joes, but I wanted to set up like epic scenes, right? Epic battles. So I had those little green army guys. Any little green army people? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Toy Story brought those back. Those are awesome. I don't know if you're still allowed to buy them anywhere or if they're on eBay or how that works anymore. But I had a lot of those guys. I wanted to have epic battles. Now, I was born in 76, so for the first like 12 or 14 years of my life, I was a Jedi as well. And so I lost my powers a long time ago. But uh, so I also played with Star Wars action figures. And I had, a, I had a Millennium Falcon or Falcon. I don't know which one you say, but I, I had one. And you took the lid off that and you could see inside. And, and I had action figures. I had Han and Chewie and, and Leia and, and Luke. And I had Ewoks. I had, I had all the things. And you set them all up. You spend all this time setting it up. And then you have the moment. And then you set it all up again, 
this whole scene that's going through your mind as a child and you set it all up and, 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 and then you, you have the moment, you do it again. But my favorite toy, I don't know if any of you are going to remember this. I've tried to find the exact one in antique stores. I've, I've found some like knockoff type, type things, but my favorite toy was, I don't know how, how big it was, maybe about 18 inches across and maybe about two feet wide. And it was, it was a metal, tin. people are guessing again. People are guessing in the last service. I don't, I'm going to tell you what it is. Hang on, hang on one second. And so the, there's this metal tin that was painted to look like a football field. And then you had this big black cord. I don't know why it feels like it was so big in my mind, but you had this big black cord. You plug into the wall and it had this little, I don't know what that is because it's technical and I'm not. And so it had, it had a big black end on it with a red toggle switch that just felt like you had to really press it. And then you would press it and then the players that you would put on the field, they would, have a, they would have a play. And so you could buy whatever division you wanted. So I, of course, bought the NFC East. Uh, when I was a kid, the NFC East had the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know who was doing geography in the NFL, but that, they were in the East. And so but I had the Cardinals. I had the Washington football team. I had the Giants. I had Philadelphia. And then I had God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. And I would just... You, they had these little green things on the bottom of them. You, you could set each player the way you want. I mean, the setup was endless because you could set each player in the way that they would run direct. And you take that red toggle switch and you hit it and boom, the thing would vibrate and a play would happen and you would set it up and then a play would happen. A big part of play was the setup. And one of the things that I feel like we've lost over the years is the setup. And setup is not science, because every moment, every situation is different. Every person is different. The setup is an art. And I feel like we have lost the art of the setup. But I want to say something to you today, and I want to show you through the lens of God's word and through the Christmas story. God delights in the art of the setup. God delights in the art of the setup. Now, some of you are in the middle of a setup right now. It's Christmas, all right? And you're setting up for a week from today, Christmas morning. You're, you're, you're setting up. You've been setting up. Some of you have been setting up since Halloween, all right? That's when you got the things out of the attic. And by the way, I'm okay with the Halloween people, all right? I'm okay that that's the day that you set up for Christmas. I don't know who started it. That's fine. If you set up Labor Day, we've got a small group for you, and we would like to pray with you after the service. There, that is, for some reason, that's my limit, okay? But what do we have? We have these weeks and months getting the decorations out, of doing the shopping, putting the lights out, of buying the presents, of wrapping the presents, and then Christmas Eve comes. And Christmas Eve might be what, what your family does. Hopefully you come here to, to church on the 23rd or, or 24th and and then you have the, the in-laws over or the family over, the part of the family that you do Christmas Eve with. And it's like you've had weeks and weeks and weeks and months of setup and then it's over. Or Christmas morning comes and you've had weeks and, and months of setup and then it's over. And it's like, that was a lot. Was that worth it? What are we doing here? I mean, really? And I want you to know that in every season and in every moment, God loves and delights in the setup. And you see, the moments that you have are worth it when you understand that God delights in the setup.
And it starts right away from the first pages of Scripture. It's in the first pages of Scripture that God has created the Garden of Eden. And man and woman, Adam and Eve, are there with him in the garden. And they're having relationship together, fellowship together, which is what he wants for all of us. And then the serpent comes into the garden and says to Eve, you know, you, that one fruit off that one tree that he's told you not to have, you, you actually should have that. And so she does. She takes it. She offers it to her husband. And then sin enters into the world. Satan has come in the form of a serpent into the garden in, in this moment. Tempted, tricked. And now sin has entered into the world, created the biggest mess possible. And even in that moment, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God steps in and This is God himself speaking. He says to the serpent, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, that offspring that will come, which would be Jesus, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. A prophecy of the coming Messiah from God himself in the middle of the most messy, perhaps the most tragic moment in all of human history, but the prophecy is from the eventual offspring of this woman will come the defeat of Satan and sin and its repercussions. And I just want to start there today to say this. Thousands of years before the manger, God was already working because he delights in the art of the setup. And something else is really good news for somebody today. That in the biggest In the moment of the biggest mess in human history, God steps in and says, I can handle this. It's good news for somebody today because your life is a mess. And you don't know how it's going to work out. And you're not sure if it's ever going to work out. But I want you to know that whatever you've got going on, God can handle it. How am I going to get out of this? How is this situation going to resolve itself? Is the relationship ever going to be restored? Will the marriage make it? How can we afford to keep going? Are we going to lose everything? Listen, friends, God is not surprised. He is not taken off guard. Just because you didn't see it coming doesn't mean that he didn't see it coming. In the middle of the heartbreak, there is hope. Listen to this. No human deviation can alter the divine art of of the setup. No human deviation can alter the divine art of the setup. It's different in every circumstance. It's different in every life. It's different in every season. It's different in every moment. But it it appears to me as though the greater the plan for what is coming, the more elaborate the setup. So Adam and Eve make a mess. Sometime, we don't know exactly, four or five 6,000 years before the birth of Christ. But we bring it a little bit closer in, 700 years before the birth of Christ, the prophet Isaiah. Let me give you a couple of familiar prophecies about the birth of Jesus today, but I, I want you to allow yourself and ask God to help you to see them fresh and new today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, and then we'll read verses 6 and 7. They say this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And now a passage that most all of you are familiar with. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of government and of peace there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 700 years before the birth of Christ, this prophecy of a coming Messiah, and we've done message series and, and we've given sermons on the names that are found here. But one of the things that I don't believe gets enough due is the last line of that prophecy. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know what zeal is? Zeal is like unbridled energy and enthusiasm. Like zeal is given everything you've got. Unbridled energy, passion, everything you've got. You know, there, oftentimes in the Hebrew scriptures, there is a word picture that goes with a word. There is an amazing word picture that goes with the word zeal. You know what it is? Imagine, th think for a second what you might think it is. What, what, would, what would the word picture be for energy and enthusiasm? Zeal. A jealous husband. A jealous husband who with energy and enthusiasm is motivated to love his wife, to provide for her, to protect her, to help bring guidance to her, to allow, to set her up, to allow all the things that God wants to have happen in her life. He has unbridled energy and passion and his love motivates him. And friends, I want you to know that God's love for you motivates him to never stop coming after you. You see, the art of the setup is not man in pursuit of God, but it's God in pursuit of man. About 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem, a prophet who was alive at the same time as Isaiah, may have written down this prophecy a little bit later, says this, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, I can't, my mouth, sorry, it's Bethlehem, you know where it is. The, uh, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Can't take these prophecies for granted 700 years before the birth of christ these prophets could not have have come up with these things on their own 700 years before the birth of christ god is delighting in the art of the setup and the things that he brings about can only be explained by him i mean how can you be from one place but born in another He's Jesus of Nazareth. And yet the census taking of the Roman government causes his parents to have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this prophecy is fulfilled. But the prophet couldn't have come up with this. The, the Roman Empire wasn't even a thing when this prophecy is made. This prophecy is well before the days of Rome about an insignificant town and a pauper's birth. And you think about these two prophets, these two contemporaries who say two very different things. Isaiah speaks of dominion and justice without end. And yet Micah speaks of a shepherd. 
Yes, a low class in society, but it's a description of who he would be. From an insignificant town, a place that's too small to matter, would come a shepherd in the majesty and strength of God. A birth that could only be described as being the lowest of the low. Yet at the same time, the scripture says that he is a king from the branch of David and prophesies that other kings would come and present him gifts. I mean, how can there be so many dichotomies? How can there be so much majesty and so much humility wrapped up in one person and in one birth? It's because God is in every detail of the past, present, and future of our lives. And the invitation of Christmas is to look at the manger and to trust God with the art of the setup. Because of his zeal, he would keep his promises to his people. Because of his energy, because of his enthusiasm, because of the love that motivates him, that actually is part of who he is. He cannot help but bring his promises to fruition. Though at times his people would reject him. Though at times we reject him. Though at times his people would wander, as we sometimes wander. Though at times there would be moments of betrayal and sin, sin, there would be seasons of rebellion and exile and doubt. Yet whether they invited him in or left him out, he stayed true to his redemption plan. And in staying true to his redemption plan, he would author this moment. Something none of us could have come up with on our own. Because God delights in the art, the setup. And he's authoring your life. And coming up with things for your life that you would never have come up with on your own. And they'll come to fruition. And you'll see them come to being if you will partner with him in the art and setup. Your life is made up of seasons and moments. Every season prepares you for a moment and then you carry every moment into the next season. And consider the moments of your life. Oftentimes they're the the memories or the little events, situations, the stories that we like to tell is the graduations, the promotions, the weddings, the birth of a child, the finally got the job, the completed projects, the promotions. There are other moments too. There's the, the job you didn't get. There are tragedies, there's hardships, there's heartbreaks, and there's loss. Maybe you're in a season right now of just out and out rebellion. Maybe you're in a season of doubt right now. And maybe in, in this season, you just feel so isolated and alone. So many people go through the holidays and they feel just the loneliness, the weight of it is just tangible. And maybe you've experienced moments of abuse or just irreparable harm has been done to you. I want to say to you for a moment, if I could, When I say that God delights in the art of the setup, I'm not saying that God is delighted by our missteps or the hurts that we've experienced. What I'm saying is that none of those things have the power to prevent you from getting where he wants you to go. He will sustain you through every season and every moment if you will cling to the promise that nothing can separate you from the love of God. No matter what's happened to you, no no matter whether or not you happen to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God and with the energy and enthusiasm of a pure-hearted yet jealous husband, one who's jealous for worship, one who's jealous for affection, one who's jealous for his relationship with you, he will come after you in every season and in every moment. 
Job chapter 12, verse 10, I love this, says, In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Every season and every moment happens in the sight and in the full knowledge of a God who loves you and who wants to work all things out to, for your good according to, his, according to those who are called, according to his purpose. But more than that, he's working all things for his glory. But he wants you to reflect the image of Christ to others. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that in him all things hold together. Every season, every moment, every, every small thing, every grand thing. Listen, God is not only great because he cares about the big things in our life. God is great because he cares about the small things too. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care. But because he is by his very nature love, he cannot help but love you more than you can possibly fathom. And he delights to bring about great things in your life because he delights in the art, in the setup. And Christmas is a living, breathing illustration of his desire to participate with you in the art of the setup of your life. I love John chapter 1, verse 14. John says the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. I love this turn on the phrase. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's what Jesus did. He moved in. He could have come differently. The father could have brought about some, some sort of divine, distant salvation plan. Instead, he chose to reveal himself up close and personal. And that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to participate with you up close and personal in the setup and development of your life. So how does that happen? How can I participate with God in the art of the setup? What, what is, exactly does that mean? Well, if you will practice in every season, practice in every season what you want to see happen in the moment. The way that you participate with God in the art of the setup is you practice in every season what you want to see happen in the moment. Author John Maxwell says, no one escapes the law of sowing and reaping. Sowing is how we become active participants in the art of the setup. What I'm talking about is intentional living. Intentional living. We have this saying that goes through our culture now that seems to be pretty acceptable that just basically says, if you just put good things out into the world, you, you'll get good things back. That, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about just putting out the vibe. I'm talking about investing where you want to see return. I'm talking about intentionally making deposits into your own life, into your own thought life, into the lives of the people in your life. So just three quick ways you can participate with God in the art of the setup. Let's talk first about the relationships in your life. How are you participating with God in the art of the setup with the relationships in your life? How are you sowing into the relationships of your life? Let me just share one thing I've learned in this season. This, it's been a transition year where it's just felt at times like it's all on us, which it's, it's not. The Lord's carried us through this, but it feels at times like all the, all the details are about us. And there have been times where I've, I've walked into rooms. And I'm wondering, what, what do people think about me? What do they think about what we're doing? And I got to confess, at times I've, I felt like I have been really selfish and self-focused. And sometimes it makes you self-loathing. It's just not a, it's not a good place to be. And one of those times I was actually walking in here for an event. And I was feeling especially self-focused. Just transparency here for just a second. 
Um, walking in for Global Leadership Summit, getting ready to hear great talks, be encouraged, be equipped. Such a great event that we, we get to do every year. Walked in, people agreed to me. People, nice church. I miss mean, wonderful, friendly church. Walked in, I sat down in a chair, and I was just like, why am I here? I was just me, 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 me. And I don't know if God's ever had to do this to you, and this is not necessarily biblical, but I just felt a little spiritual smack on the face. Just God just went, hey, it's not about you. Anybody need that reminder? It's not about you. And by the way, you have been blessed to be a blessing. So why don't you take your eyes off yourself and focus on being a blessing to others. One of the greatest things you can do for the people in your life, for the relationships in your life, the way that you can participate with God in the art of the setup is to bless them. When you bless them, you're making a pronouncement or a decree. In other words, when you bless somebody, you are making something true about their lives. What have you made true about the lives of the people around you, about your friends, of your roommates, your classmates, of the people that you work with? What have you made true about the person that you're married to or the children that you are raising? When you participate with God in the art of the setup and the lives of others, you have the opportunity to enhance and to enlarge their lives. I love what, I love what Jesus said to his disciples at one point. He says to them, you are going to do greater things than me. Can you imagine what they were thinking in that moment? He said, you are going to do greater things than me. Listen, I know we've, I, I've given a talk on that. There's lots of theological implications, all, all, of, all of those things. But think about the disciples in that moment. The son of God, the lamb of God who has stepped out of heaven is looking at them and says, you're going to be great. Do you have any idea the impact that that can have on a life when you give that kind of blessing, when you choose to enlarge instead of diminish their lives? Jesus wasn't worried about the impact that would have on him. He was just giving a blessing to them. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, again from the message. I love how this says, how this reads. Words kill, or words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Every sentence, every moment, every interaction, every season, you choose. Second way you can participate with God in the art of the setup is through prayer. And you know this, but can I just tell you, don't leave anything remaining in heaven that you didn't ask him for. You're invited to ask. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Listen, God doesn't hold back from us. It's just that this is the mechanism that he has given in order for us to participate with him. It's prayer. And we pray, we pray for needs and requests in the moments, but our prayers are about bringing about God's future. I love what Mark Batterson says. He says, prayers are prophecies. They are the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. We're moving into a country where lostness is off the charts. We're only 1%, at best 2%. No Christ is their savior. Certainly only about 1% in church on, on any given Sunday. 
a country that used to be known as the land of the book, a country that's had more revivals than any other country in history, has just literally just fallen off a cliff. And obviously we can look culturally at what's happened, but what I'm aware of that more than anything what's happened is that the enemy has built up spiritual strongholds that are only, only going to be taken down with spiritual weapons. And so we pray and we pray and we pray and we're not even there yet. But what we're doing is we're praying into God's future for this country. We're praying into God's future for a church that we haven't planted yet. We're praying into God's future for people who haven't come to know him as savior yet. And I'm praying for the names of people I've met in the coffee houses and the pastry shops and the pharmacies and, and all the other places. I'm praying for names of people from the book of Acts. Like, God, would you give me a, a Scottish version of this person, of this person, of that person, of this lady, so that we can see Scots come to Christ and reach their friends and reach their families so that we can ultimately see a movement and a revival. We're asking God, would you go before us into the hearts and lives of every interaction? And can I tell you, when we pray that way, when we pray into the future, it allows us to go into the room with confidence because God has already gone before us into that room. Listen, let it just be an illustration, okay? I don't want you to just be interested in our story today. I want your story to be transformed. So can I ask you a very personal question? Have you prayed forward into the places that you're going to go this week? If I were to ask you, what are the names of the people that you're praying for? That you're praying for God's future to come about in their lives. Who are they? I know many of you just finished up exams this semester, but are you praying forward into a classroom? Are you praying forward into the workplace? Are you, are you praying forward into God's future for their lives? Are you praying and asking him to expand his kingdom? He'll do it. Let's not leave anything on the table. Let's be sure we ask in obedience to what Jesus has said. And the last thing I want to say on the way you can participate with God in the art of the setup, you can participate with God in setting up his kingdom through your generosity. Oh, it's such a great way. Luke chapter six, verse 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. When I go get a Diet Dr. Pepper from a racetrack or a QT, you know what I do? I wait for the fizz to go down because I want some more. I want the full cup. And God's saying, listen, give and then I'm going to give back to you. And here's what God invites you to do. Go ahead and wait a minute. Shake it down. Press it down. Hang on. I'm going to give you the full cup. I'm going to give to you overflowing. And can I just tell you something? The gifts of God echo into eternity. I know that because the gift of God echoes into eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave. And that's why we bring these gifts. Every, every year we've, we've been giving since 98 or 99, we've been giving to this gift offering. And you know, it's, it's real easy to say, to, to hear us say, you know, give one gift larger to Christ than any other gift. And it's real easy to watch people go up to Westridge Kids they get their kids and they come and 
maybe gather the kids around, they, they pray and just put the envelope in. And You know what? Makes you feel real Christmassy, doesn't it? Watching other people give. Doesn't it make you just feel like you're part of the season? Watching other people give. That is so sweet. That is precious. That's going to mean a lot to that child. Now, come on. You got money? Can I tell you a story? Yes, I will. That's the answer to that question. Here's the deal. I got to finish up. The very first gift offering was about bringing me onto full-time staff. I'd been let go from a job and called Brian. He immediately talked to the elders and they set a goal of $20,000 to bring me onto this team. The offering came in, you've heard us tell the story, at $20,001.96. I could have gone and gotten a Diet Dr. Pepper, 32 ounce, 64 ounce. I could have got, I mean, it could have been amazing. Got a letter this year from somebody who's invested in what we're doing in Scotland who was here that day at Vaughn Elementary School where we were. And because of the circumstance in her life, she really didn't have much to give. And she shared with us the story. And she told us what she did that day. She gave $5. That's what she had. She put us over the top. When I say you've got money, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm just saying, listen, whether it's small or great, little is much when God is in it. And whatever gift you give, whatever gift you bring will echo into eternity to help bring about a space for families who have loved ones with special needs, change the trajectory of whole families. That echoes into eternity. To give so that a 15-year-old football player can go hear the gospel from at an FCA or an FCA camp, that can echo into eternity. To give to a church plant in Boston or Atlanta or Detroit who's figured out how to play football, Lord, help us. Or even to a church plant, now we got one in Texas that echoes into eternity. And to give your $5 or your $10 or your $5,000 to what God is going to do in Scotland, friends, I don't know what it looks like, but I'm not selling everything to go waste my time. It's going to echo into eternity. Lives are going to be changed. Communities are going to be changed. Churches are going to be planted. Don't sit back and watch. Don't sit back and watch. Be part of the story of what God's doing because doesn't he write better stories when we allow him to do what he does in the setup? We'll go to Matthew chapter one for just a couple of verses here at the end. We got two other pages of good stuff. I've had to leave out of both services. I'm sorry. <laughs> Matthew chapter one says this, but as he considered these things, this is Joseph. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Which prophet? All of them. All of them. Hundreds of years. Thousands of years. Because our God delights in the art of the setup. He sent us Jesus. The name means Savior. The name means Deliverer. But then he does so much more. Verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means he's with us. God with us. You and I could not have come up with this story on our best day. He could have done salvation in a different way. I know he could, he's God. But instead, he chose. To ask his son to step out of heaven to the womb of a virgin, that they would travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, there would be shepherds who would be startled and surprised and would find themselves in worship, kneeling in a stable by a manger. There would be a star that would lead kings to bring their gifts to this child. God delights and coming up with more than we could ever ask for or imagine. God delights in the art of the setup. And no obstacle, no tragedy, nothing that has happened up till now can prevent the work of the purpose and the plans of his life for yours, if you will but surrender to him and participate with him in the art of the setup. And once you do, let that surrender not create anguish. What's he going to do? No, let that surrender create anticipation that my life is yours, and now you can make something more and great of me that will bring you all the glory because I've trusted you with the art of the setup. And he didn't just come to save. He came to stay. His plans are always better. His ways are always more perfect. Even when we don't understand. Would you bow your head with me? The team's going to come lead us in a song. Tell you how you know that you're participating with God in the art of the setup. It's how you can know it. Because you won't care what it looks like. You won't care what the next season looks like. You won't care what the moment looks like. You'll just know he did it. He did it. I don't know how the Holy Spirit wants you to respond. I don't know what the season, the moment, I don't know what you're praying forward into, if at all. I don't know how you need to respond to being part of the generosity of expanding the kingdom of God. I just know that God loves you with an everlasting love. He's motivated by his love for you. 
and he's inviting you in. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I just want to save you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. We'd love to have the chance to share that with you today. You can go to this glass atrium space, back left-hand corner of this worship center and talk with somebody today. God, as we worship you, sear in our hearts who you are. You can be trusted with every season, with every moment of our lives because you delight in us. You delight in the art of the setup. We love you. In Jesus' name.